Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Jen Bailey. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode four for season nine. This episode was recorded on Saturday, the 11th of May, 2019, and is sponsored by Triple Byte. That's Byte, B-Y-T-E. I am Jen Bailey, here with my DC bound Season 9 co-host, Drew Freeman. Thanks, Jen. On this episode, we have Sean Allen. Sean is the creator and talent for the widely popular iOS development YouTube channel, Sean Allen. He also wrote the book, It's Only Crazy Until You Do It. He's a self-taught iOS engineer with four years of experience, spending about half his career leading client-side iOS development for small startups in Silicon Valley, and the other half doing independent contracting. Now, he's contracted on multiple iOS applications, ranging from payment tracking, real-time voice communication, food tracking, to elementary education. Did we mention he also runs a YouTube channel teaching iOS development and Swift to tens of thousands of aspiring developers. We'll give you the links in the show notes. He's a basketball junkie. You can see that on his T-shirt. An iOS YouTuber. We mentioned that once or twice. It's very important you know that. Star Wars and Game of Thrones learn, hodler, and a feverish learner. In this episode, we're going to discuss supercharging your development career through content creation. Then in the second half, we make our last predictions about the upcoming toys Apple may give us at the developer conference. Sean, welcome. Jen, Drew, thanks for having me. It's kind of an honor to be here. I, I got my start learning via Ray Wonderlick, so it's kind of nice to finally come full circle and, and participate in the show. Yay. Well, I mean, I, I watch your, your podcast and your YouTube channel regularly, and, and it feels like it, it I, I'm not trying to say that it feels like it's part of the Ray Wenderlich world, but it's got a really great level of tutorial. It's, it's great to follow. I was mentioning just before the show that I was watching your recent Macaw video, which is really great because graphing is one of those things I always tend to avoid when I'm doing any kind of application because the uh, the frameworks that I have come across in the past have always just been... A hundred percent documentation and five percent me looking at that documentation, going, "Am I really going to set out for this?" <laughs> right, right. Is it? Uh, yeah. Without naming any names, I can imagine one of them. Uh, <laughs> it's one I use as well, and the the documentation is is not the greatest. There's a lot of trial and error to, to figure that out. But yeah, McCall was, was pretty nice. Uh, I enjoyed using that framework. So I was commenting earlier. I I love your setup for your YouTube show. It's it's wonderful because you've got the green screen, but most people green screen their entire picture and mm-hmm. and just put stuff randomly you've got yourself located in the bottom corner and you don't seem to mind that there's a square of green screen and then you're cut off and i think it works fantastically because it gives you a really great focus on your background yeah i i like showing my face on, on the thing because i i feel like it gives it a more personal feel personal touch to you know someone teaching you something so it's important to me to have the, the, the face because when i see some tutorials that are just the screen it feels very like I said, like impersonable, impersonal. <laughs> Can't talk. Um, so, so yeah. So I, I wanted that on there, and uh, yeah. Well, I did have like the full no green screen, and then you know when you're building this, you know, content, it, you always want to strive for better and better quality of your your production value. So especially, I'm we, maybe we can dive into this a little later, but I'm about to go full time YouTube here in, on July 1st, and uh, now the production quality is going to go like sky high now that I have a lot of time to do it. But uh, yeah, we should address my setup a little bit because if you can see, my apartment is destroyed. Those of you watching on the video in the back, because I'm building a, a video game streaming setup, I'm, I'm venturing into Twitch here soon. But uh, you mentioned the green screen. That little thing back there is the roll up green screen. Nice and portable. Uh, it's really all how 
I do it. You have a strange definition of the word little. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It, it actually, it, it looks bigger than it is, but uh, compared to like some other green screen setups, it, it's very convenient. Yeah, I recently obtained my first uh, circular green screen or more the elliptoid mm. green screen, which is, it's really wonderful. It's a great green and blue on the back screen, but unfortunately it is one of those elliptoids and anybody who's used an elliptoid green screen knows that folding it back into the bag is a nightmare. <laughs> right. It springs back out all the time, right? <laughs> it, it's got this sort of reverse Taurus Mobius loop kind of, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I don't think it's Euclidean in its nature. <laughs> right. <laughs> so one of the things that we're going to be talking about today or for the first half is the fact that coding really does pay the rent, but now and uh, more and more developers are finding that the content creation uh, is lucrative, if not more lucrative. Yeah. And for for many different ways, like many people might hear that and think just lucrative financially, but it's, it's super fulfilling uh, as well. Um, it's It sounds kind of cheesy, but I've gotten plenty of the whole, you know, you've changed my life kind of emails from people that because my journey, not to get too much into the backstory, is I wrote my first line of code in my early 30s. You know, most people think you have to code as a child in your whole life to be a programmer. Wow. So my channel really speaks to people that are hopefully trying to make the same transition I did, right? Where they just pick up code later in life and like, hey, this is what I really want to do. So that's what I try to make my my channel, you know, speak to. So back to how it's fulfilling is I'm actually helping people like that. Now that I've been doing it for like two years, I've personally coached and seen people go from never writing code as an adult, learning code, and now they're like full-time iOS developers. So yes, it's starting to become, you know, financially, I wouldn't say lucrative yet, but it's it's getting there. It's a slow build, but the fulfilling part is is just as good. Oh, that's really amazing that you started later in life. I know a lot of people, um, I work at community college who would be really inspired to hear that. Yeah. And I had that misconception too. And, and again, to give a little backstory of how it even happened is I moved out to Silicon Valley uh, to be like into invest the investing side of it, angel investing, venture capital, eventually that kind of thing. But when I started working on my first startup, it was a small five person startup. And I just became friends with the developers there and started like looking over their shoulder, like, Hey, what are you doing? What's that? Tell, tell me about this. And I always knew that, like, especially here in Silicon Valley, that developers are treated very well. I <laughs> can just leave it at that. I think everybody knows that. Uh, so knowing that and seeing what they did, I just became curious and just started doing it on my own because I always had the misconception that I think a lot of people have is, like I said, you had to be coding since you were six years old or a math prodigy, right? I just always had that misconception, but Really, as you know, especially you at the Ray Wonderlick site know, because we probably have similar clientele, that's not the case. You know, everybody can do it. Yeah, I think. And the reason that the impression is that you have to start coding as a kid. Um, now, admittedly, I'm one of those weird ones who did start coding as a kid. <laughs> but then again, when I started coding as a kid, coding was a lot different. Is that coding the entry level has become a lot easier. It's become not as daunting so that we can teach it to children. And as a result, it is something that anyone can begin to pick up. I remember uh, one WWDC or or a similar con, they introduced an 87-year-old woman who had just started coding in the past uh, year or two. And and I think that's really a credit to the, the entire field. Uh, I, I always try to introduce as many people as I can to it. I, I've got my son who's just uh, on the verge of 13 coding now. And I also started teaching my mother-in-law to code as well. And she's asking if she can help me with my personal projects. So <laughs> She's going to be uh, sending up pull requests for you? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, a, that's a double-edged sword there. I, I, I believe oh that. But yeah, and, and another thing I like about kind of creating the content and putting it out there is I'm, I'm also helping 
kind of like you mentioned, like the next generation of developers come up because I have a lot of, like you mentioned, 13 year olds, 14 year olds, 15 year olds. And a lot of them are actually WWDC scholars. So I get to see like the stuff they're making and I just look at them in awe. And I'm like, like, like I said, I didn't start till I was mid thirties. And I'm like, I don't know what I was doing at 15. It certainly wasn't this kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I just look at that and I'm like, man, if I was doing that at 15, like where would I be now? So I'm just so happy for those kids that are getting into this that early because you know, Cody's not going away, right? It's only going to become more and more required as we go into the future. I think it's going to become uh, uh, just another language that they'll teach in high school or they'll teach in elementary school. My son was actually being taught Spanish in his elementary school, which surprised me because I didn't get language choices until I was in high school, but such is the time changing. So what made you decide to jump to the YouTube channel and how did you get the setup that you decided on uh so what made me jump to the youtube channel was spite (laughs) 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 i'll I'll explain that real quick so basically in early 2017 that's when i started my channel i'm only about a year and a half into my programming career again starting from no prior background or no cs degree and i was getting interview requests from like the facebooks and the like here in san francisco which they pretty much ask everybody to interview there um so i basically i went out and interviewed at the big companies only a year and a half into my career and I got destroyed, right? But I felt I felt cheated after that uh, process because they they didn't care about like me, my background, passion, work ethic. All they cared about was how I did on this coding problem in a half hour in like a random interview setting, right? And I just I felt cheated. So I was like, I know I'm better than I performed. So my idea was like, okay, let me just put out my knowledge into the world. So that's why I started the YouTube channel where I was doing tutorials, and I was like, you know, hopefully two, three, four years down the line, I'll just get hired sight unseen because people will know me. They'll know what I can do. Like all my work is out there. I'm constantly talking about it. So that was kind of the origin story of it, more of a marketing thing, again, because I felt cheated in the interview process. But it has since evolved and morphed into more of the like once I started getting those you changed my life kind of emails, that was like the new drug for me. I was like, oh, that's what it's all about. That's what I'm chasing now. So now it's not so much a marketing play for me. It's more of a, a helping people play. Suddenly I have an urge to plug our sponsor, Triple Byte, which does the entire thing where they <laughs> just they do the, the gradual testing of you rather than check your background or that. I, I will admit I also am one of these people who's terrified of the coding section of an interview i can usually sail through the entire interview with discussion and general knowledge questions and then it's like now we want you to code a question and 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 (laughs) everybody just suddenly feels like they're on the spot it's not how it works in reality for any of us you know nothing is solve our problem in 30 minutes with it and i I always say like i I can't write my name if somebody's looking over my shoulder let alone (laughs) try to solve a random coding problem that i've never heard before that you threw at me as you're watching me do it like it's just it's a weird setting um so yeah so i wanted to just put out all my information out there so people knew what i knew so hopefully they wouldn't be like hey we need to test your abilities like, we know what you can do that was kind of the idea so so i gotta ask sean do you actually carry a bachelor's degree or mm-hmm. yeah do I, you I, just not have one in no no I, I have two i did go to school i went for uh economics and finance uh so i am definitely into the whole finance world and that's like i said what kind of led me out to san francisco silicon valley because i wanted to get into angel investing and, and you know early investing in startups because I always felt like I had a good eye. I was I've always been an early adopter and I've always felt I had a good eye to be like, okay, that's gonna be big. So that was the whole goal to move out to San Francisco. But 
I got derailed into the development thing, which I don't mind at all. I love it here. Now, you said that when you originally went out for the interviews with these companies, they they destroyed you and, and things did not go well. I'm assuming because uh, from our conversations, you said once you put all that stuff out there and people saw you, now the companies are coming to you. Yeah. And not and not just like the typical recruiter reach out that, that all developers kind of get. Like, you know, like I, iOS managers are like, hey, you know, we want you like, please come interview. You know, and, and I've been I've been fast tracked to just the final onsite, like no, like initial recruiter screen, no one hour technical screen. It's just, just come on for the onsite to like PayPal and YouTube. So like some of the the biggest companies in the world. Um, so yeah, so it's definitely benefited just having that in, and I don't want to make it sound like that's just based on my skill. It, It was more so just having a good presence, online presence in the community, being a known kind of personality. And it does matter because people do see the videos and kind of, I think what, what sets me apart from some others to be a little braggy here is my ability to like break down complex things into normal human language to help, you know, regular people learn that maybe don't have a CS degree. Um, so I think people see my communication skills and and that is a, a big thing too. kind of to bring it back to what we said about not just testing for, can you solve this one random coding problem? Because I just believe like the soft skills are just as important as the, the hardcore technical skills. Yeah, as I mentioned, I was watching your, your video on Macaw and I love the pacing of it. I love how you basically say, okay, we're going to set something up here. I'm going to explain what that is. I'm going to outline how I want to do this. And here's the specific calls to do that outline. I'm just going to stub them out, but you can see the outline of how we're going to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And that really is at the core of what they are looking for in all of those interviews hell moments is that <laughs> it, it comes down to be calm and break down how you're thinking through the problem. Uh, it takes a, a lot of practice to, to know that really what it comes down to is voice your thinking rather than solve the problem. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, the, and even now working, you know, in the industry for four years now, I think we've all worked with developers who like can't communicate what they're thinking and they can't, you know, portray their ideas. And it's almost it's almost useless if you're a brilliant and have this great idea if you can't communicate it to people and get it across. As you mentioned, I was rather taken aback. For years, I wanted to do podcasting. I couldn't actually find a topic. And thanks to Ray, I wound up doing this show. I was really quite surprised during one of my last interviews. Uh, you know, I, I spoke to the company and the person interviewing me or the person on the original phone screen said, so I just want to ask you, are you Drew Freeman from the podcast? And I was like, yes. Oh, good. I listened to you. I was like, okay. All of a sudden I, I, I had handed him a separate resume just because yeah. of that information. And, and that it took me aback, but it's really quite, uh, quite astounding. Yeah. That's kind of what I say about this content creation stuff. It, it is, it is the 2019 resume and I only use 2019 cause that's what year it is now, but it is the modern resume. Like you said, um, people know kind of like I talked about earlier, I wanted people to know me already. They're not just looking and we all know people skim resumes in like 10 seconds, right? So they may not get everything, but and back to kind of like how the companies reached out to me, it was because, you know, I, I do two podcasts. People listen to that. That's where one of them directly came from. They're like, hey, I love you on on your podcast, Swift Over Coffee. Quick plug. And uh, <laughs> uh, I just, I just love, love listening to that. So, uh, you know, I heard you because I had said like, because I'm just very open and transparent about my career plans, and my career goals. And I had just shared that, which is another thing about content creation. A little side note is don't worry about like being an expert on a topic. I always say just like share your truth, be humble, be honest. And people like really resonate with that. So I was just sharing my career goals, what I wanted out of my career, my journey. 
And like I said, engineering managers listened to the show. They heard that and they reached out and they're like, yeah, come on down. We, we'd love to have you down. This has uh, led to you not just mainly doing the stuff on your end, but you've now been pulled out and you're doing speeches at, at conferences internationally. Yeah, that that was fun. I, I just spoke in London in March uh, at IOSCon 2019. And, and again, that comes about from just being a, a presence in the community uh, and the YouTube channel and stuff. So which so let's kind of bring this back to kind of the opportunities you'll get with the content creation. And I I'm not saying let me give a disclaimer. I'm not saying if you're a developer, you have to create content. I'm not telling everybody you have to have a YouTube channel. But I think it's objectively true that if you're doing a podcast, doing a YouTube channel, doing a blog, you know, whatever you like to do, you will have more opportunities if you build up that blog and that presence than you would if you didn't do it. You know, now what you do with those opportunities is completely different. So one of the opportunities I got was to, you know, speak in London, which was awesome. Uh, I had a ton of fun there. My, my talk was, <laughs> I say I did my first ever talk on hard mode because it was live coding. It was 30 Xcode tips in 30 minutes. So I'm up there just flying through Xcode, giving keyboard shortcuts and everything like that. And of course, Xcode did mess up on me, right? So it's a rite of passage. Of course. Wouldn't be a talk, wouldn't be a talk without it. Um, but yeah, back to kind of like the opportunities, they, they snowball. I always uh, talk about it as like, compound interest, right? You may get one small opportunity that's going to lead to a bigger one that leads to a bigger one. So I met a ton of people at this conference that I think is going to lead to more speaking opportunities, which again, could just open up doors that are impossible to foresee. Let's talk about the flip side of all of this. The internet is not always kind. No. (laughs) How is feedback for what you do? How does that tend to, how does that tend to fly? I think I'm very lucky because my audience and people on my videos, it's very minimal. Um, you know, I, you do hear all the, the horror stories about YouTube comment sections and, you know, they are true for the most part, but I, I think I'm very fortunate that I think my like, like to dislike ratio is like 99% or something like that. But, uh, in the feedback I do get, cause let's be honest, I've, I've made 240 something videos, I think. So when you're putting your developer knowledge out there and, and coding in front of people, thousands of developers right? You put code in front of a thousand developers, you're going to get people that are going to nitpick every little bit of it. Or, you know, you forgot this, you forgot to do that. It's the, it's the ultimate code review. That's it. It's exactly where I was going with this is that I've learned so much from the comments, even the snarky ones. Um, I'm like, okay, well, you're right. You're snarky, but you're right. <laughs> you <know? laughs> um, so uh, yeah, it is actually, and that's another benefit of this is you're going to learn more. Um, not only if you have the gumption to put yourself out there and teach something, you better know it cold, especially if you're putting it on the internet. So you're going to learn it more that way. But any little hole you missed, somebody is going to fill in because they're going to comment on it. Like I think programmers just can't help themselves, right? By, by kind of like commenting on something you missed. So it's a, to answer your question, the feedback has been great. I mean, I've had a few people tell me to shave my beard, which I'll never do. But uh, <laughs> other than that, it's been overwhelmingly positive. And like you just mentioned, the ultimate code review, I, I would go as far as to say is it has definitely made me a better developer because, you know, again, thousands of people looking at it, they're going to see things you don't. Yeah, July one, we're going to go daily videos, crazy number of pockets. I'm going to just, I'm going to be a content creation machine. It's going to be awesome. And we mentioned July one, because again, June one, very, very different. We're going to be getting a whole new bunch of content to discuss from the upcoming WWDC. And I, I think at this point, we should uh, take a few moments break, let uh, let our sponsor, Triple Byte, explain how it is uh, possible to skip that scary interview part. Then when we come back, I'll talk about some of what those toys may be at WWDC. We'll be right back with the second half of the show right after this. The RayWonderLick.com podcast will be right back. 
But first, a message from our sponsor. This RayWenderlich.com podcast is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on phone screens, take-home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your interest or your cover letters. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies, from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you get to go straight to the final interviews with the companies on their platform. It's like the common app for software engineers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. And I can appreciate that. Being in the industry for 35 years, I'm entirely self-taught. My undergraduate study was in theater, and I left school to do my first job. So I don't carry a bachelor's, no bachelor's of arts, no bachelor's of science. And that's the one thing I'm often trying to hide or misdirect on my resume. With TripleByte, they care more about the coding experience that I have and not worry about that one little fact. Apply now at triplebyte.com slash Ray. That's triplebyte.com, byte, B-Y-T-E, as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. Thanks again to our sponsor, Triplebyte. That's Byte, B-Y-T-E. Now it's time for the second half of our show, where our WWDC-bound Season 9 co-host, Drew Freeman, will talk a bit more about what we're likely to see at WWDC this year. Drew? I'm excited. I haven't been back to the developer conference, actually, since before the uh, lottery began. That's about seven years, so I'll be uh, curious to see how the show changes. But in general, it, it's always a, a really good time, and, I, and I'm, I'm jealous because you just got back from Google I.O. Yes, I did. Our, our only time mentioning Android on this show, which we, were, we did a live cast, and I should point out that uh, Monday, after all of the keynotes are over at about 8 p.m. Pacific time, we'll be doing a live cast to talk about what actually happened and how we felt about that. But today I've got Sean and Jen here to discuss what we think might happen, because this episode's going out about four days before that. Right off the bat, and we'll, we'll start with the Mac. The Mac is always, the Mac has slowly become sort of the, the side child in the family, uh, which is an interesting thing having come all the way from the Apple days, and I mean the Apple II days. But I really am hoping that we're going to see a full ProLine refresh at this point. And I, by ProLine, I mean the iMac, the MacBook Pro, and I really, really hope that we're going to get to see that tower that they teased us, what now, two and a half, three years ago, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've been talking about that for a while. I'm actually terrified of the ProLine refresh because I, I'm a sucker. I always want to have the latest. I always want to, you know, I, I always want to have the latest and greatest Apple stuff because it looks so cool. Uh, and I, I do. I am looking at an iMac Pro right now that I bought for like video editing. And we all know the the iMacs and iMac Pros have the same you know display with the huge bezels, right? It looks like it's from 2014. So if they come out with an amazing looking iMac Pro, this is what I'm terrified of. Uh, that might cost me a lot of money. <laughs> it, it surprises me because when the iMac Pro first came out, I looked at it and I said, I don't need it. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually had to convince a coworker that he didn't need it either because I realized by Pro, they really 
design that device to be for video editors, for photo editors, for people who are working for major magazines or for major motion picture companies. If it's somebody like us who's just editing a couple of videos, or maybe, Sean, you're stepping up to that level where you would need it. But I, I realized I didn't need the Mac Pro. As much as I love the toys and I love having the <laughs> best and the greatest, I could actually sit back and go, I need an iMac. Like I, I fully expect that if they turn out a Pro Tower, that's designed for a major corporation to put into their into their build farms or for it's sure. designed or it's for somebody who's using Maya or something of that caliber. <laughs> yeah. Talk about the iMac Pro. You absolutely don't need it for development or even just basic video editing. Uh, I will say I take it for granted uh, because with my videos, so it depends on how much rendering you have to do. Like I have texts and graphics like all over my videos and stuff like that and my little face cam and stuff. So there's a lot going on. So the rendering times, like I went home for Christmas vacation for like two or three weeks and I was creating videos on my 2016 macbook pro which is still you know 16 gig of ram you know pretty powerful and it would take like two to three hours to render one of my swift news videos whereas back here on the imac pro it takes like 10 15 minutes so like i took it for granted <laughs> these rendering times until i went there and i was like oh i love you imac pro i love you <laughs> so it is for video editing for sure and people ask me all the time like oh should i go in for development and i'm like absolutely not <laughs> like it is way overkill for that but like you said video editing uh for sure what is the advantage of the tower uh, what has you excited about that? Oh, the tower, I'm really hoping that they've got expansibility figured out once and for all. So it's it's interesting because I always hear that complaint that the Mac isn't expandable, that once you buy it in a certain configuration, that configuration is forever. And people, quote, love to upgrade their devices. I, I, I remember speaking to a colleague of mine saying that they would never go Mac because they couldn't upgrade the device. And I said, well, when was the last time they upgraded their device? And the person looked at me and says, well, I don't. I just buy a new one. I was like, oh, wait, no. <laughs> but with the tower, I, I'm really excited to see how much power they're going to put into that thing. It's been a while. I think the expensibility, I think, and Johnny Ive will put his fingerprints all over it anyway. So it'll just look hopefully not like a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to these, you know, probably the, uh, the companion to the tower is that display. Uh, the new 6K display that's been rumored. Oh, I forgot um, about that. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen some of the, like 9 to 5 Mac, I think, had a their idea of it, and it was an ultra-wide. I don't know if they're going to do an ultra-wide, but if they do, again, I'm a sucker. I'll probably buy it, even though I have no need for it, uh, just because it looked, at least based on their render and their idea, it looked absolutely beautiful and looked like the perfect companion to an iMac, uh, like side-by-side -side kind of thing. So that's what I'm looking forward to the most, to see what they do with that display. So let's let's talk about the big one, and that is the Universal App slash Marzipan. We talked about that on the last show, um, at least in some detail. I don't want to necessarily rehash everything we did on the last show. But it looks like, because there was a huge drop from, I think, Bloomberg News... Uh, talking about all of the uh, the highlighted information, and that is that a whole bunch of iPad-style apps will be able to run on the Mac, that you'll be able to actually write your own, basically, iPad app and have it run on the Mac. Yeah, I, I think this is great. I haven't had a chance to like really dive in and, and play with it, uh, but what I do find is a lot of the new developers that are coming up, because I, I deal with a lot of them, are not going to build AppKit Mac apps, you know what I mean? So I think this, we're, we're finding that the Mac is being a little neglected. So the, the main thing I'm looking forward to is that people that are going into iOS, iPhone, iPads, 
Now their products, you know, however cool they are, can now come to the Mac. So that's what I'm excited about. Is the Mac getting more software to use? Yeah, the problem is that we have a lot of really great caliber applications, especially in gaming and research, that are popping up on the Mac, uh, on the iPad, but they just don't have the power that a real high processor would give them. And I wonder if this will be that marriage of you can use iPad development, make an iPad version, but then have that unbelievable multi-core power that can pop up behind it once you throw it onto the on the, the Mac. Which, of course, also means that because we got the warning for the last one, 32-bit apps, they are gone forever. I thought this happened like a year ago. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not up to date. Didn't they do a, a purge of all the old 32-bit apps? Or was that just a warning? I think that was the warning on the Mac, but the purge on the iPad. Oh, okay. That, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's what I was thinking. And I guess that would make sense that if you're going to now bring those iPad apps across to the Mac, you need to make sure that the Mac is 64-bit only as well. So, I mean, there's there's not a lot that we'll know. I mean, obviously, there'll be a lot of sessions on Marzipan probably for the Mac, because there's going to be different interface things, dealing with the mouse, dealing with different types of clicks, dealing with the menu bar, etc. I'm really hoping they don't go the route of Java, where your menu bar consists of your app is running about this app, and then there's a walled, a walled garden. But it's hard to say. Uh, one of the tricky things as we move into iOS is the fact that a lot of the rumors that you see dumped on Bloomberg are primary keynote rumors and we talked about this with the google io is that the primary keynote is not for the developer the primary keynote is for the press and for the public to go "Ooh, i'm getting new apps from apple and apple's doing all these really great things then after that is the state of the union which is the keynote for developers yeah and that's basically where they say here's how we pulled off all these new apps and all these new features in the os and what you get your hands on. Jen, does, does, IO, does IO do something similar? Do they do a, a keynote for the people and then a keynote for the developers? They sure do. So the, the main keynote is for all audiences, I think, just to get excited about what's new from Google. And then the developer keynote is a lot more specific of what does that mean for developers? Um, and it gets a little more technical. Do they have a fancy name for it? Like, like, like Drew just said, Apple has the, the state of the keynote. union. Okay, cool. So very <laughs> yeah, original, the, this but... <laughs> year they called it the developer keynote. No. <laughs> okay. I think I, they've used State of the Union before, too, or State of, I, I recall, in previous years, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Monday, there was a the, the keynote, the developer keynote, and then what's new in Android, right? Yes, there's almost always another, and that's just a session, but that's a that's generally a large session held in the amphitheater. Um, so they put that in a large stage uh, for obvious reasons. <laughs> Usually, people are competing for a spot in that one. Yeah, so... That will likely be the same, that Monday's keynotes will be the public keynote, the developer keynote, and then on Tuesday, they'll start with what's new in iOS, what's new in macOS, what's new in watchOS. So in iOS, uh, the one thing, obviously, now that they've finally moved to the OLED screens is the dark mode that they put onto the Mac, they have to put onto the phone. Uh, everybody's doing it now. It's, it's interesting that concepts like dark mode have taken so long but I guess that's because that's sort of been a developer thing for the longest time and that we've always liked switching our terminals to dark. We like switching our, our, our apps to dark. It, it has to be intelligent. You can't just flip everything because then things go wrong. Yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of dark mode and I didn't realize how much of a fan I was until I got used to it. 
and then went back to an app that didn't have it and you just get blinded by that white screen and you're like what, what is this you know so it's i can't wait for it on, on ios has ios ever done dark mode before because i know android kind of started out with a darker theme um but has ios ever been dark centric or is this the first time not not officially they have the accessibility setting but the accessibility setting was never really curated to a fine detail that everybody could use it easily or that there was any kind of API to help you deal with it. Oh. We are seeing a lot of apps like not wait for iOS though. Like Twitter has their full-blown dark mode. So oh. a lot of apps have started implementing their own dark mode before iOS has. So I'm curious how that's going to come into play. Yeah. Well, with any amount of luck, they stubbed it in a way that it's just going to be easy to, to to throw the switch and say, okay, use these calls instead. And like you said, Drew, it can be horrifying. Um, like if you dark mode and it reverses a picture or something. So in the Android dark mode, you can exclude certain views because some views look absolutely terrible in dark mode. So <laughs> yeah, it will be interesting. It's, it's similar to using right to left uh, languaging that you want to make sure that some things flip appropriately while other things like your graphics may not necessarily flip. So the fact that there's so much chatter about this means that because Apple is so design driven that they've really thought about what needs to change and how it needs to change. Now, I may be an outlier because on the Mac world, I actually prefer the light mode. I, I like it to sort of uh, help me. Maybe it's because I, I need the light to help me concentrate. But in dark mode, where where I use my my iOS device the most annoyingly to people is when I'm getting into bed, my wife's trying to sleep, and being as though she's hard of hearing, the noise from the phone doesn't bother her, but any amount of light coming out of that device does. And with the OLED screen, we'll get actual dark. The blacks will actually be switched off black, and that'll be a nice change. Let's see. Now, one of the other apps, now, obviously, a whole slew of apps that we're used to coming from Apple will now be moving over to the, uh, from the iOS world to the Mac world. One of the ones that I've always felt was a great missing app was the uh, Find My Phone or Find My Friends app. Um, I find that app well, with a large family to be <laughs> something that's absolutely necessary. But I'm wondering whether or not that they're going to open an API into that at all, that you can actually find out battery information or find out location information. Um, that seems to usually be pretty much a black box just due to the, uh, due to the privacy concerns behind that one. So, so then we move on to the, the series of apps that move around that are what we like to refer to as Sherlocking apps. And those are the apps that may possibly encroach on other people's businesses that exist currently. Apple has continued to try to enrich their files app, which is their basically their file system into iCloud, which uh, is sort of their Dropbox competitor. It's been... <laughs> good on iOS, but it still seems to be a little bit foreign to be, it, it seems more like an app than a file system. And then that file system seems to work as a file system on the Mac and less of an app. So it looks like they're going to try to find a sort of halfway point. But this one, I definitely expect to see some growth in the APIs, specifically because you need to have that less than sandboxed feeling when you're doing files. Yeah, I, I echo. I don't use it kind of for the reason you said it doesn't feel like a file system. So I've literally never even used that app. Uh, but I love the concept of it. It's just 
I don't know, never used it. Um, a lot of the apps now, you know, it's like, do you want to save your backups to iCloud? And you forget that you can go to iCloud and take a look at these files or manage them or take care of them. Dropbox still has a much better feel to that, even though when Dropbox is on iOS, it's still got that same app-like feeling. So I'll be curious to see whether or not they're going to try to get more of a file system feeling on iOS. The other uh, Sherlocking system that we feel is coming up is that uh, SwiftKey has a keyboard that lets you swipe through the letters to generate words. And we know that Apple's really all about machine learning now. So the question is uh, uh, a rumor that says that the Swift Key swiping keyboard will now be something, not Swift Keys, but a swiped keyboard so that you can actually just roll through the letters. And I know a lot of these changes, the average Android listener says, oh, you finally <laughs> caught up. <laughs> I've been using the swiping keyboard for a while now. <laughs> I do find it speeds me up a lot. At first, I didn't like it. And I was like, what's the advantage? But it, for me, I can finger type a lot faster. That's what I was going to ask you, because I've never used a swiping keyboard. What What's the learning curve? Like you said, at first you didn't like it. How long did it take you to like it? Not long. I would say maybe a day. Um, and I got attached to the Gboard because um, you could put a background on it and it had um, fun features for searching GIFs. <laughs> and um, I had just used the stock keyboard for however long. Um, but it didn't take me long at all, maybe about half a day. So maybe the first three times I tried it, I was like, oh, what's the point? But um, then I, you can also do it easy. To, you can type easier one-handed that way too. So if I'm holding my phone in one hand, I can um, thumb type much easier because you don't have to have as much accuracy. That's the advantage. Yeah, that might be worth me me trying because one of the things I don't like, I love the bigger phones, but one thing I don't like about it is now I've switched to a two-hand texter and not a one-hand texter. <laughs> so oh, if, yeah. if this can pull me back to a one-hand texter, maybe I might give it a try. I forget what those things are called, um, but the, the things you can stick on the back of your phone so yeah, I can yeah. hold it with one hand and then mm -hmm. I can type. If I position that just right, I can reach the whole keyboard with my thumb. Nice. Even yeah. though the phones are a little large for my hands, I can do it one-handed. <laughs> So I have to give that's that a nice. shot. <laughs> I have to admit, you gave me a laugh there because uh, as somebody who is predominantly an iOS user, I didn't realize they used the term Gboard. <laughs> Sean, this has been amazing. I really appreciate all the information that you've given me on, uh, uh, on given us on, uh, on putting this stuff together and, and building it up. I, I am the same way. I started the podcast about two and a half. I, I picked up the podcast about two and a half years ago. I was lucky that it had the audience already built in, but just the way it's built up over the time has been amazing. I've got to work with now three amazing co-hosts and it continues to grow and I continue to look at new things. I actually did my first uh, con speech about a year ago and you know it, it does begin to just become an addiction. Yeah. Things that you just want to put more mm -hmm. in. It's a lot of fun, too. So, Sean, I want to thank you again for making the show today. It's really uh, a pleasure and an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Jen, Drew, it's great to meet you. Maybe, Drew, maybe I'll see you at Dub Dub this year. We'll meet in person I hope a little so. bit. I'll be, I'll be looking yeah. out. All I have to do is search for beards. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sean on Twitter, you're Sean Allen underscore dev. That is correct. As always, Jen, you're Jen.codes. Yeah. And I am podcast Drew, D-R-U. You can find us on Twitter or in the show notes. There'll be links to a lot of 
of what we discussed. And of course, then about a week later, WWDC will happen and we'll find out how everything we did in the second half of the show was wrong. <laughs> Coming up in two weeks after this show, we've got John Sundell, an open source developer and podcaster who will be on the show. That'll be on uh, Wednesday, June 12th. In the meantime, that's going to wrap things up for this episode, episode number four. Again, we thank Triple Byte, B-Y-T-E, Byte, like in 8-Bits, for sponsoring this show and every show this season. In the meantime, we head back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWendelk.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time. <laughs>